Welcome to episode number 41 of the Silver Lined Relaunch. If you were subjected to growing up in poverty, abuse, being surrounded by drugs and alcohol and being incarcerated, would you think it's possible to reclaim your life? No matter what situation surrounded you growing up or now, our guest, Star Rose Bond, a licensed psychotherapist, speaker, Columbia grad, and personal coach, is living proof that it can happen. In this episode, she shares personal stories and ways to turn your thoughts and beliefs around, highlighting how there's a difference between cause and effect and you causing the effect. And now our conversation begins. You're listening to the Silver Lined Relaunch, and I'm your host, Hillary DeCesar, award-winning entrepreneur and transitional coach. Each week, I'll invite you to tune into inspirational stories, revealing how you too can turn ordinary experiences into the extraordinary. Feeling stuck? I'll share step-by-step strategies to fuel your ability to experience a life where silver linings are both abundant and possible. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Relaunch Silver Lined Podcast. And we are so excited to bring you somebody today that is truly, truly, having now talked to her, I'm like blown away with this gal. She is an inspiration. She has, I mean, in the dictionary, it could say relaunch and her picture could be there. Her name is Starbond, and you are going to hear the the highs, the lows, the in-betweens, the funkiness, or should we say hip-hopness, or whatever is your favorite. But Star, thank you so much for being on the Silver Lined Relaunch. We're just so happy you're here. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure and an honor. Well, and you know, the way that we always like to start is, for those that aren't familiar with you... I like to jump in right away and go right for the talk to me about the craziness of life, about the relaunches, the significant ones that you've had that can share kind of your personality and your back your background with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of my personal story and my narrative, I definitely was one of those individuals that against all odds still managed to come up and rise up and, and figure out a way in the life that felt good and felt prosperous. Um, I have come back, I've come from a, you know, a really unique background in terms of, I was raised with a lot of adversity around me. Um, growing up with a single parent, alcoholism, addiction in my household was pretty commonplace. Um, and just sort of, uh, subjected to some of the different challenges that people grow up when it comes to poverty and just some different social constructs that keep us oppressed. Um, That ultimately led me to having an early childhood experience around a lot of trauma, sexual abuse, um, and just kind of growing up in an environment that didn't always feel so safe or feel so great. Uh, So just some chronic instability, we'll call it. And with that, um, you know, you know, you you talk about against all odds. Yeah. You know, and 
you look at some of the, you know, the really famous people that have overcome some of the biggest obstacles. Do you think that it's necessary to, you know, build up the grit, the, you know, to have some of these things? Because sure. you are everything that you have been through, right? And I sure. know we haven't gone into your story yet, but I always get interest, you know, when you talk against all odds. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you think about that? Well, as a now trauma expert and trauma specialist, on one hand, you know, you hear that saying that like whatever, you know, whatever you go through or whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I'm kind of like, maybe, or you might become out traumatized. So on one hand, do I think when certain interventions can come into play, inspiration, spiritual, enlightenment, privilege, all the things that help to catapult an individual out of adversity and out of difficult times, like, yeah, maybe it can encourage resilience at a certain point. But the reality is that not everyone has access necessarily to those resources or perhaps to those opportunities. And I think that that's a really big part. And that it's a really important aspect around when we talk about the conversation of resilience and empowerment, mm-hmm. um, because it's a it's a beautiful concept. But in a lot of ways, those terms have been like diluted over time. Uh, well, I agree with you. They're like they trigger really words have. at this point. <laughs> so. yeah, they're trigger words. They're actually the trigger words to trigger you into the trauma again. Totally. totally. I, I agree. I think that they all, you know, resilience and get resilient and be resilient. It, it It's sometimes like it's overused that we're just, you know, flowing through it where, hey, you got to deal with it. Yeah. You got to really... Resilient- takes a lot of different forms too, you know what I mean? And it also sometimes I think for many, you know, a big part of what I feel like my quote unquote success story is like, yes, have I had some sort of internal or innate, uh, you know, momentum that drove me towards wanting to do different things and evolve and create. But the reality is I also am a white woman, you know, in the society. So I had access to privilege and, you know, resource that perhaps other, other people don't. And so Although I come from great adversity and I've had some pretty heavy shit occur in my life, you know, from poverty to abuse to incarceration, drugs, the whole bit. The reality is, is that I still had access to privilege, which allowed me to or enabled me in so many ways to kind of navigate the way my life the way I did. And I think that that's a really critical piece that we need. to. I think it's it's such a critical because, you know, I'm sitting here, too, with privilege you know that surrounded me I didn't have you know the the list that you had of one obstacle you know we all have our different different traumas that we go through mine have really happened you know kind of in the last 10 years not so much when I was a, a child but for you you got blasted I mean you were like one thing after the next and it was all during a time where you were developing right yeah so tell us, you know, from the relaunch perspective, and yeah, you've got endless relaunches there, but the impact and how you were able to break away from that snowball that kind of picks up that a lot of people, and I know, hey, I'm like the first person to raise my hand and say, I had the snowball, you know, one bad thing, the next bad thing, the next bad thing. And it's just like, and, and it's so hard to get out of that. It's so hard to pull yourself away from that. I'd love to know how, how were you able to do that? 
Sure. So I have kind of like an interesting take on this, you know, from like a clinical perspective, we look at people who've experienced trauma that then inevitably they're at a much higher risk for compounded trauma along the way. They're considered like a high risk demographic mm. because they've got early exposure or what they term as ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, right? And so we have that take, that lens. And then like, if we're going to dive into, which I'm more than comfortable doing, the concept of like law of attraction, not like from the woo-woo sense, you know, I really like to demystify it a little bit, but ultimately, you know, we experience life based on where we're at emotionally, like our emotional signature, our energetic signature determines the kind of reality we get to create. Now, regardless of what social construct is in place, or if we are dealing with oppression or racism or, you know, gender oppression, whatever the case may be, it still plays a role into how we feel. So if I grew up feeling unsafe because of my environment, then that was my emotional signature. So I moved forward in my life and continued to feel unsafe and started to, and, and that in essence, in essence enabled me to continue to attract scenarios that kind of validated that lack of safety. And people don't really talk about it like this because it's an edgy conversation, but it fuels my work and everything that I do. And so when you ask me like, what helped me to overcome this? I look back on my life, like I was part of the Zoloft generation when all the kids in my demographic were being diagnosed with something, bipolar, ADHD, and they were pumping us with medication and kind of relegating us to these parts of society or shuffling us, so to speak, um, where we were like the rejects or the after school specials. And I think in part, it took, you know, after going through my adolescence and being incarcerated and, you know, living on the streets and all these different things, it really took a matter of me starting to understand by having access to resource and information that I was the common denominator to the reality I was creating. And this was really unique because on one hand, I can blame my childhood. I can blame the system. I can blame the patriarchy, which, you know, that's there and that's real. But ultimately, if I was going to change anything, and the only thing I really had control of was how I felt emotionally and energetically and what was my relationship? What what was the what was being reflected in my reality was just simply the relationship between me and me. And so I really started to understand that. And I got that at a very rudimentary level, like around 17, 18, 19, I broke off and took off and started traveling around the world and started doing all these different things. And slowly but surely I really started to grasp this concept deeper and deeper. And as I matured, it allowed me to take accountability on a level that I never thought possible. That was a long answer, but (laughs) Uh, no, but you know what? I got to say the common denominator, when you can finally realize that, Hey, wait a second, the the blame game, we all do it. I mean, you know, Oh, this happened. And you know, my parents were divorced when I was five or four, I think. And so, yeah. Why did I, you know, my first marriage fail? Oh, you know, blame, 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 blame. Sure. But when you actually step into that, Hey, wait a second this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. And and the only thing that's common, the only thing that is that denominator that is like a present with everything is you. It's, it's like that, that mirror in your face, isn't it? It's just, there's nowhere else, but right in front of you, looking at that mirror, reflecting back at you that you can sit there and say, you know what, crap, I'm in it. But the beautiful part about that is if you recognize that, you know, on one hand, if you're like, okay, I always think about it from like the matrix, like you either eat the red pill or the blue pill. Like I'm willing to say, I'm going to take 110% responsibility for the life that I'm living. And that's a hard pill to swallow. A lot of people don't want to do it. But if you do, 
and you look at your life and you're like, well, I've created a total fucking shit show over here, you know, <laughs> then if I'm willing to really swallow that pill, that means that I can also create an empire. And so there is a, there's a beautiful struggle in that awareness, but nevertheless, like that's empowerment. That's looking at it and saying, well, I'm the one that can do this. I'm the only person I can be responsible for, and, you know, to create and cultivate this change. And so all of a sudden you stop relying on everything outside of yourself to really not only define you, but to, um, you know, catapult you into this transformation. It becomes, it, there's a, there's like a shift all around you when you really get to this place. Well, and what's so great is that you're, you're inside what's happening on the inside then gets reflected on the outside versus like okay. crap, you know, everything in the outside is just a mess. Yes. What's going on in the inside once you take ownership. And that's why you did, you, you brought up the law of attraction. That's when we can really admit that this works. It yeah. does. When you are, you know, as you said, taking 110% responsibility for your own actions, your own ways of being, your own world around you. And you're, you say, hey, this is why this is coming to fruition around me. Yep. And you can say, well, okay, if that's the case, because I'm all screwed up on the inside and you can start to change that, it happens. And it happens so fast that the outside begins to reflect right back to you what you want. Yeah. And that's when you're like living like a Jedi at that point, you know? So it? it's really interesting then. And it's, there's a certain degree, uh, it, it's refreshing. And it's also like, that's living fully at that point. And again, I know that this conversation can, even for many, even myself included, like law of attraction, even that term has been like taken to all these different places where people are like, you know, just thinking positively doesn't do it. And, and it's not just that it's so much more to that conversation. And we're not talking about new age rhetoric. We're talking about like the laws of physics here and how that relates to the human condition. And I think that this is like, I almost wish we could come up with a different term because it's gotten so played out law of attraction, but nevertheless, like it's, it's a viable concept. And when you can start mixing it with discourse that relates to science and physiology, we start to connect the dots in a whole new innovative way. And, you know, Joe Dispenza is at the forefront of this and, you know, so many others, but I'll never forget when he made that commentary around, you know, there's a difference between cause and effect or you learning to cause the effect, you know, and that's, it's really, really powerful. So. And, and there's this whole thing. I also think about, um, and I agree the law of attraction is, is overused, overplayed. It gets into, you know, too much of the secret where, you know, sit on the couch and just close your eyes and it will happen. Yeah. And I, I love even what uh, John Asraf said, wh who was in the book, he said, you know, it's, it's a load, it doesn't work. What yeah. has to happen, what they forget to do is the sequel that follows the secret, which is the answer, which is start putting in place actions that will help you get to that place. Yeah. And I, I, I think that there's something to be said about your reality is what you're thinking today. So if you, if you want to know what's going to happen to you tomorrow, yeah, just look at your thoughts that you've been thinking over the last, you know, day, weeks, months, and it is, it's coming right back to you. That's why every time I start to go down that like path of, oh, you know, this is just, you know, it's a path that you don't want to be taking. I can flip myself out of it pretty quickly now with yeah. that realization of, Oh no. 
oh no, I don't want that to actually happen tomorrow. Seriously. (laughs) It's like that, you know, and I think when you talk about the term like resilience or empowerment, like it's no one gets out of this life, you know, perfect by any means, but it is that capacity or that ability over time to start take reclaiming your life and taking a look at, like you said, your thoughts and your beliefs and being willing to interrupt the ones that no longer serve you. Like that's resilience, that's empowerment, that's checking in and saying, I have enough personal accountability and I'm in constant uh, conversation with self. So I'm bringing a shit ton of awareness into my everyday experience. So when I think that negative thought or I have that self-criticism or I enter imposter syndrome with like, you know, comparison that I'm willing to do something different and I'm willing to stop, step in and intersect that, you know, and do something different. Yeah. And it is an interrupt, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Like you have to be willing to, you know, some call it like break the state, but it's just interrupting your, how you're continuing to go, to create that snowball. Totally. Like, wait a second, wait a second. I know exactly how I can, you know, completely erase that snowball, you know, get, get one of those match, you know, burners (laughs) and just like blast it and it will melt away. And that's literally what can happen. So I, I know for you that, um, and I love that you touched upon this, you know, the white privilege and you and I are both, you know, white women sitting here and yeah. trying in, in our in our own way to do what we can to make sure that, hey, we raise our hand and say, yeah, darn right. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I, you yeah. know, now you've labeled it that way. Didn't even realize that I'm, I'm a big part of it. I'm sure. right here. Yeah. And as you confront even as we continue more and more issues around different people. And now you've, you've studied for it, you've gotten degrees for it, trauma. How do you recommend to people right now when it's such a hotbed of, of emotions? What sure. is the best way to help to be there, to encourage you know, our sisters of every color you know, how do we, how do we do that? What is the best way? Sure. And, and I'm going to give my personal opinion. I don't know if it's the best way. I could just tell you what I'm doing. So I think above and beyond right now, like we need to listen, we need to listen, listen, listen. We are all a product. Like I have a master's level degree, you know, from an Ivy League university in social justice and social work. And I've been studying race, gender, and class for the past 15, 17 years of my life. That still doesn't make me superior to anybody else. And it doesn't um, mitigate the fact that I'm a product of colonization as well. So it's about really being humble and being clear and being willing to sit down and step back and be quiet and listen to the voices of others, you know, that don't look like me, that don't sound like me, um, that don't come from where I come from. And do that not only with an open mind, but an open heart, because we have so much to learn. No matter how much I think I've learned, I'm I'm joke. I'm kidding myself, right? So there's so much out there. Um, I think that that's the very, very first step. Like being willing to, you know, a lot of my friends will talk about like decolonizing your bookshelf, decolonizing your Netflix, you know, going out of your way intentionally to hear the voices of others, uh, of BIPOC communities, you know, so that you can start to listen to their narratives, their stories, um, and their struggles, so that you can gain a greater understanding of how you can be of support. Uh, and that's gonna think, that's gonna be a, a, a continuous conversation, it's a continuum, it's not a one-way response. And, and it's, whole, it's that holding space. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, 
we are so accustomed to like filling every bit of space we can, right? Yeah. And it's about like, hey, don't. Yeah, don't. We don't have that's, to. We don't have to anymore. This is like, yeah. that's not our role. And so as I um, heard you say about the Ivy League, I read something or heard you talk at one point about the fact that if you are looking around, like these people that are sitting next to you have no idea your background, yeah. right? Yeah. No, no idea. And yet, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with people. And when you are doing this, it, it was an interesting, can you, can you share with us a little bit about your feelings around this? Yeah, I can remember. So at the time I um, had a two-year-old and uh, we were on food stamps, you know, we were on welfare the whole bit and I was a single parent and I was going to Columbia University at the time, was doing my grad school program. And I was taking some sort of course, and at the, and I'll never forget this because at this particular class, I had to bring my son. I think he was a little bit younger though. I had to bring him because babysitting fell through or something happened. So I had to bring him with me. So here I am in class with my son, you know, right beside me. And we were in a course that was talking about social services and ways of, you know, essentially like healthy engagement with a demographic uh, of lower income and like ways in which to neutralize that dynamic, so on and so forth. And I remember like sitting next to these individuals who have been groomed for Ivy League, you know, uh, academia and some of their, their backgrounds were very, very different than mine. And it was so interesting to hear their responses around how they felt they needed to approach, you know, a demographic, quote unquote, of that kind and their level of authenticity that they really needed to work on experiencing. And it was just so unique because here I was and they didn't know that I'm a single parent on food stamps, you know what I mean? Um, dealing with welfare, not show, not really sure how I'm going to pay for school this semester. And to be in that surrounding where I'm engaging in discourse with them and problem solving, you know, uh, towards our capstone. And then at the same token, like they didn't recognize that that, you know, here we are shoulder to shoulder coming from very, very different backgrounds. So yeah. it was unique to me because I come, where I come from, that certainly wasn't the uh, type of community that I was accustomed to necessarily engaging with, for sure. No, but that's why I, I love how you described at the time. And I think that that is so relevant to what so many people are going through right now. Yeah. That, you know, you sit there and say, well, oh, I had no idea. Well, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what anyone else is thinking, right? You don't have a clue. And so we go through life thinking that everyone should be just like us. That, of course, if we're sitting in this room together, then, yeah, right. we must be alike. And it's not the case. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, it, it just, it really struck me. And I thought, wow, that, that's an interesting one. So it was unique uh, for me too at the time. <laughs> Oh and talk about oh imposter syndrome like that also is a big part of you know my work today with people is like I can remember sitting there top of the class you know what I mean um you know having gotten a scholarship there and having gone through what I went through and working hard and doing what I was doing and still feeling I remember sitting in those classrooms and looking around at my peers and not feeling like I belong you know and that was so awkward and unsettling and and despite the social proof that I had around me that absolutely I did belong 
I, I remember undergoing that experience and the way it impacted my ability to move forward and, and just the self-limiting beliefs I created in that place um, was, was unique in and of itself. So you know, you, okay, you know so much about this. You've studied this, you're, you know, you, you coach people in this. Is it that virtually, because I, I also have not met uh, really, I can, I'm going to I'm going to put myself out on a limb. I haven't met a single person who doesn't at some point in their life feel imposter syndrome, feel unworthiness, feel like, you know, crap, I do not belong right now. I'm not sure how I got here. Sure, <laughs> I know, sure. I know I have felt it many times, especially, you know, my career started in the corporate world. I mean, it was a man eat man, dog eat dog world. And That was, you know, and so I do think that these days, what do you, how do you coach somebody out of, you know, that they don't feel like they are where they should be, that they are worried about being found out? What, what's the best way that you suggest going about that right now? Because I know with what's happened this last year, everybody, it's like even a heightened level of it, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So we take inventory, we take inventory, just like you were talking about those beliefs that we have on repeat, right, that we continually, continuously tell ourselves or that we reinforce because they came from somewhere. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter where they came from or how we necessarily acquired them. But it does matter that we start to determine what they are. So like most people have a handful of like what we consider like core beliefs or core wounds around like, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Nobody's going to love me type shit. Right. And so once we can start to untangle what those beliefs are that typically manifest in a variety of areas of our lives, we can start to now implement or employ exercises and practices that not only intercept them, but that actually changed the course of our neurobiology. And this is something that I bring to the table that's a little bit different is that, you know, you could see a mindset coach or whatever, and you could go to therapy, but this is the challenge with that. You, most people um, can go in and process their story and vent and then receive some content or exercises. But a large portion of people on the planet, whether due to trauma, adversity, toxic stress, or just growing up in capitalism, right? have an overactive fight or flight response, an overactive amygdala. So part of what that, the problem of that is, is that it keeps us in a place where we are not able to integrate new information and we're not able to really get that long-term fix around habit retraining. So you could go on that yoga yoga retreat and feel better for a couple of weeks, but you'll come back and you're right back into it. Or you'll practice some new things and you'll have a really inspiring talk with your therapist and you'll walk out of that office and you go right back into those habits. And that's due in part because our neurobiology is linked to our beliefs and our thoughts. So unless you start to reorient and cultivate a new biological landscape, which requires some exercises and practices and techniques, ultimately this kind of conscious talk or this content that we feed back and forth, it doesn't stick. And so really, really big part when we talked about imposter syndrome or low self-esteem or obsessive compulsive anxiety, whatever it is, we have to start with cultivating that new biological landscape as a preliminary measure before we start processing shit and before we start unpacking your childhood or whatever it is, because I want to work with people for a short amount of time and have them get not only the most bang for their buck, but their effects are long lasting, if not permanent. 
And so that's Absolutely. like, I'm not interested in people being in a situation or therapy for year after year coming. What do you want to talk about this week? Like, no, that's, that's, that, that is good coaching. When you yeah. want to get to the source quick and not just, you know, and, and fix the source, oh, get, get that source. So, you know, like, like clean that shit up so that they can, they can get on with their own life, but they're yeah. not going to be there and that you're just patching this or you're just, you know, jumping around for, you know, a little short while. And then the next day, I have a funny story about that. I um, went to the Oprah uh, conference. It was like a two or three day oh, yeah. conference. Yeah. And they gave us this uh, glow in the dark, like thing that kept lighting up and then it, and then it didn't. And then it lit up and, you know, about every 30 seconds it went off again. Okay. And it kind of was supposed to be that reminder when you left that, Hey, I'm still connected. Yeah. Well, about probably three days later, the thing just went out, right? It just, I remember looking at it like, I mean, that's what happens when yeah. you don't deal with the source. <laughs> I mean, I was all like jumping up and down, had my, you know, glow in the dark wristband. And when it went out, I'm like, dun, dun. You know, so, I like, so I love the idea. You got to go for the source. You got to get down there and like, you know, work, work from, work from that angle and don't, don't hang around for two. Hillary, not everybody's got six years to post up in therapy somewhere. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, like we're that. not into that. That is such an antiquated model of healing and just recovery, whatever, whatever your challenge is. So there are ways, you know, we are incredibly adaptable and resilient. And most people think that you either have to like go sit on a mountaintop for 10, you know, for like a decade and figure your shit out, or yeah. you have to go through some like deep dive of uh, exploration through the nitty gritty to like get to good. And mm. that's just not true. That is an old way of thinking about psychology and healing. And it's really about getting your brain and body on track synergistically, right? In such totally. a way that you do it consistently and over a short amount of time, you can make very, very dramatic changes that are permanent, you know? Um, so we really have to get away from this idea that like, you know, healing takes a long time or we really have to be committed to the process or whatever it is that we tell ourselves that actually inhibits mm -hmm. us from just being in it, figuring out what it is that's holding us back and then employing the very things necessary to help relieve that. Like it does, we make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. And Don't I think that's the biggest message to people. So this is probably the most profound question I've asked anyone that I've ever had on yeah. the show. The name of the show is the Silver Lined Relaunch, meaning that every situation you really go through is a form of relaunch and that somehow, somewhere, some way, you're going to be able to find a silver lining around yeah. it. I heard your story, abuse, incarceration. When I say that comment, is that true for you? Absolutely. I mean, when I, when I look back at mm some of the things that I've been through, right? And then like we talk about that silver lining, finding the medicine, finding the gem in all of our experiences. There's absolutely no way that I could be who I am today without having gone through those experiences. And I know that that comes off cliche in some way, but truthfully, like I can sit with the person who has undergone victimization. I can sit with the person who's been in a toxic, you know, abusive relationship and doesn't know how to get out without judgment. I can work with an individual who has, you know, been accused of a horrific crime and sit with them without judgment. 
having gone through my personal experience, having gone through hell and back and, you know, the seventh layer of hell and that kind of dark night of the soul in order to figure out who I am. And so it brings for me a level of empathy and compassion and humanity that I could have never had had I gone through that, that stuff. Regardless. Well, I wasn't sure how this was, <laughs> that could have taken a very different turn. So I'm glad that we are aligned because I really, truly, through all of my ups and downs, through all of the, you know, the, the bad and the ugly, it, it really has impressed me. And through everyone's stories that I hear on the show, it really is. It's about like, yeah, you may think you're in the dark night of the soul right yeah. now. And, you know, we are here to guide you through that. We literally yeah. are. Um, so I, I want, I, I know that we're, we're coming to an end here, but I do have to um, ask you, you have a little quirkiness about you. <laughs> you have, and I'm going to just say it, and by the way, so do I. So we're not going to go into my side of the quirkiness because everyone's heard mine, but can you share some of the things that just bring a smile to your face that are probably a little unexpected? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I am a city chick, you know, I'm from New York uh, and I live out here in Northern California um, in the mountains. And, and since moving here, I have taken on this homesteading farmer girl vibe, um, you know, which has been really unique. So I have a flock of chickens and ducks who I have I probably too close of relationship with. Um, they're a big part of my human experience <laughs> here. So I've become known as like the crazy chicken lady, um, which has just become part of my identity now. So I've got that going on. I have a chicken. Yeah. Keep in mind, everyone, New York. Right? Yeah. Full yeah we don't have yeah, I mean, we're talking now. She's the chicken duck lady. Yeah, right? and all my chickens are named after female rappers. So, like, I have this whole little flock of female rappers. I have one that Cardi, my favorite, breaks into my house. She lays eggs in my house. I got that. <laughs> of course, she does. <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> yeah. And uh, other things in terms of, I'm a huge proponent of hip hop and music. It's a really, really big part of my life, and um, I think it is a form of storytelling. Um, that I can not only appreciate, but it's it's something I grew up with. So it feels like home. So even when I'm tucked away in the mountains where that that culture isn't necessarily vibrant here, I can lean into that. Um, and it's it's the voices, it gives voice to the oppressed. And so for me, it's important that I, I hold that high and, and honor that, that culture, that heritage and that music. Yeah. Mm, I just love that. I love that you've named them. I mean, how great is that? It really is. I, I see. Like, you. I, I like to shake my ass too, and hip hop is good for that. So. Hey, I think we all like to. I mean, at least I like to shake my ass too. So we're we're in that together. Okay, so we are winding up now with the rapid fire questions. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just give me your first, you know, take on it. Okay. okay. Uh, all right. Zoom calls, dressed head to toe or waist up. Waist up. Okay. Chicken or beef? No, I'm kidding. I just put. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh my God. How often do you wash your hair? Twice a week. Only because yeah, my skin makes me. I got to tell you, yeah. that is 99% of the answers these days. It's just crazy. Uh, I had right. dreadlocks, Hillary, for a long time. You have to remember, I had like a huge amount of dreadlocks. And so I just cut them this year. So I'm, I'm new in the hair game right now. Um, well, let me it. tell you. You're looking good with that hair. I think you'd also probably rock the dreadlocks pretty well, but <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite podcast besides ours? 
Yes. I, I really love Susan Hyatt's Rich Coach Club. That's one of my favorites, actually. Uh, it's Yeah, it's great for entrepreneurship and just connecting with other dope women who are, mm. who are really coming up in the game. So that's my I favorite. I'm that. not a big podcast person, but if I am, it's those. I love that. Okay, uh, your favorite beauty product and what is the name? My favorite beauty product. Oh, yeah. Um, I would have to say... I don't even remember how to say it's Dr. Hauschkin's rose cream, their light face rose oh, cream. It's yeah. perfect. It's a German product and their lotion is phenomenal. So I, I you know what? I have heard that. Mm -hmm. I am like, I'm a junkie on like any new indie, anything that, you know, comes out. I'm like, yeah, I'm a total that. product. Like, My favorite place is yeah. the Whole Foods body bath and body section. I just like to mm. walk around <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love all of that. And if there's a sample that somebody wants to give me, I have I have samples galore. Okay, um, backyard barbecue or schwanky cocktail party? Uh, that's easy, schwanky cocktail party. Done. <laughs> Done. Done. I don't even think twice about it. Me and Prosecco, we're like this. We're uh, hey, okay, so is that your poolside drink? Uh, that's my every side drink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's in my coffee on Zoom calls. We don't need to my uh, coffee. <laughs> love that. Well, had I known, I mean, it, we are doing this in the afternoon. We should have just been both drinking. Okay. And then uh, bonus question is, what does a powerhouse of possibility mean to you? It means that you're willing to lean into discomfort. And instead of being afraid of it, it's that point in which you know every challenging moment is that that's an opportunity to deepen your sense of self and to access wisdom. And I think that this has been a huge learning lesson for me over the years, but it's nonetheless probably my most inviting um, in the sense when I feel something or I'm, something challenging comes up, I'm no longer afraid of it. I, I know that this is just a moment where I have to dive in, lean in. And there's something to extract there. I'm going to gain something, even as uncomfortable as it is. My favorite quote is, um, the uh, admission price to a meaningful existence is discomfort. Hmm, I love that one. And I love what you said about accessing wisdom. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Ah, that's so great. So I would love to be able to share with everyone what you're working on right now, because it is very unique. And I yeah. know that you're, you have another one coming up soon. So tell us a little bit about what you are doing right now. Sure. So I am working on a program. Um, I'm actually in the second launch of it with my best friend um, and biz bestie, Miss Ruby Head. We developed a program called Camp Quarantine, and it is a 10-week living workshop that we do live um, where we really integrate recovery from trauma and helping the individual who has undergone, whether again, toxic stress, adversity, a shitty divorce, um, some hidden beliefs that they just can't seem to, you know, get away from. And we go through a 10 week living workshop where we help to untangle, identify, reclaim, um, and really come out of this uh, experience different than the way in which you came in and really cultivate, like we talked about earlier, that biological landscape. So it's a combination of mm. mindset and behavioral work in combination to neurobiological science-backed approaches to really help you uncover those parts of self that are holding you back and stepping into your boldest, baddest self possible. So um, it's been- God, I love that. Yeah, it's dope. It's been incredible. We had, we sold out both launches uh, unexpectedly. 
and we've just been uh we've just been loving the whole thing yeah camp quarantine yes i just you know what when you first told me about it golden that thing is like yes yeah yeah and, and, and to person, be an- it's for the person too that you know again it's not like a trauma 101 therapy group it's for the person who has read every self-help book under the sun maybe they have been in therapy for 10 years and they're still not getting where they want to be or it's for the person that's drinking ayahuasca every weekend and they're just still like, shit, I, I'm not putting the pieces together. So it's for that individual. We really wanted to upgrade and up level. Star, awesome. I enjoyed the last time we talked. I enjoyed this time we talked even more. Oh, I'm sure you. our future conversations are gonna be that much better, but thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for engaging in this conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was an honor. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you felt a connection to this episode of the Silver Lined Relaunch, please head over to iTunes now. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a good review and help others find Silver Linings as well. And don't forget, you can have immediate access to all of the bonuses and notes from the show today in our treasure chest which you have access to for free by texting 55444 and typing in treasure chest. Or you could go to our private Facebook group, The Relaunch Effect, Living a Life You Love. Together we've hit the reset button for you, turning your transitions into a transformation. Until next time, don't forget, There's always a silver lining.